Welcome to Book to Work, you guys tell you about the books you're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, tonight, we're going to be reviewing The Fearing, Book One, Fire and Rain by John F.D. Taff. But first, let's talk about TikTok, because that's what Rob and I were doing right before we started <laughs> this episode. Are we talking about, are we talking about that? <laughs> it's, no, not really. But Rob <laughs> was explaining to me that TikTok is not exactly what I interpreted it to be, that there's more there than what it is. And he was showing me scary videos. So I want to get this done before it gets dark out because <laughs> now I'm starting to feel a little oh. after watching those scary videos. Are you getting the, the fearing? I might be getting a little bit of the fearing. Yeah. So um, how much time do you spend on TikTok every day, Rob? Just out of curiosity. Uh, not, not, not a lot. So like, and I guess, so I... We might like worry now we have to I, know I have to explain myself. So uh because of younger people I work with, I was introduced to TikTok and um I checked it out just to see because I'm always big on adapting like to the new uh platforms and stuff like that. And it very quickly um became obvious that this was not something that I would be doing uh you know myself, but you know, a little bit of it is entertaining. And I think the thing is like, so I found this account on TikTok that is absolutely not teenage people lip syncing to songs, which is essentially what the, the site's for. And it's this guy doing creepy videos in cemeteries and I fell in love with it. But like, it's kind of like this conundrum of, do I have to, you know, continue, you know, slog slogging through all this other content to try and find the cool content like that or not. Um, but you can subscribe to people and just look at their stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at. So not often. I just check to see if like the people that I'm following have done anything interesting. This is the point where I wish that we had some kind of live polling system while people were listening to <laughs> so we could say, do you believe Rob about his use of TikTok? And the other option <laughs> is Rob's full of shit. Um, do you have any oh. videos of your own on there? No, I have zero videos. I'm mm -hmm. following five people. Okay. And I just got notified that I'm being followed by someone, but I have no idea who it is. Mm -hmm. Well, it's yeah. not me. Not yet, at least. So, yeah. all right. Um, who's doing the bio, Rob? I'm not sure. All right. I got this bio. I copied it. I pasted it. And I can read it, too. John F.D. Taff is a Bram Stoker Award-nominated author with more than 30 years of experience, 90-plus short stories, and five novels in print. His first fiction collection, Little Deaths, was named the best horror collection of 2012 by Horror Talk. Jack. Ketchum called his novella collection The End and All Beginnings one of the best novella collections I've read. Uh, his new fiction collection, right, this is a little bit dated because uh, this is a 2018 thing. His new fiction collection, Little Black Spots, will be available from Grey Matter Press in the spring of 2018. Look for more of his work in anthologies such as Cutting Block Books, Single Slices, Gutted, Beautiful Horror Stories, The Beauty of Death, Shadows Over Main Street 2, and Behold, Oddities, Curiosities, and Undefinable Wonders. Taff lives in the wilds of Illinois with three pugs, two cats, and one long-suffering wife. This is a little bit dated because it doesn't mention this. Correct. This is going to be one of four. I know we said book one. So probably clarify that there will be four books in this room with a very short release window. So the next one is mid-August, so like six weeks in between books. I'm guessing for the whole thing. Um, the synopsis probably serves as a synopsis for the entirety. So um, here it is. The Fearing begins with book one, Fire and Rain, where humanity faces a series of catastrophes spawned by a worldwide event that unleashes all of mankind's greatest fears. In the American high desert, vacationers returning from a road trip are thrust into a heart-stopping flight from death as they try to avoid a cataclysmic end. 
In rural Missouri, the lives of a group of high school students are destroyed after their small town is devastated, and they're forced to confront the end of everything they've ever known. And on the eastern seaboard, there's someone else, an enigmatic man who thrives on despair and embraces all fear, a man with his own dark and sinister goals, someone who wants to ensure humanity goes out with the biggest bang possible. Yeah, dude. I have some thoughts about this synopsis. Um, Lay it on me. I think this synopsis and I think what you said makes sense. Um, it's, it's a synopsis for the whole, whole series of books as opposed to just this one. Um, because even though this is kind of representative of the beginning of, of everything, the, the dude on the Eastern seaboard, uh, does definitely not start out, uh, in this book as the thriving on despair, embracing fear guy, it's totally different. So that's a little bit misrepresentative, but I'm guessing by the time you read the entire book, that that's probably more accurate. For sure. That's pretty much who we're going to start with. We're introduced to Adam Siegel. Siegel? 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 Siegel, sure. Siegel? Siegel. Who um, is afraid of everything. So we're introduced with him. He's in his, uh, he's in his apartment on the East Coast. And uh, he's he's running really low on food, but we start to see his fear of like all the things that he's afraid of that that potentially will keep him from even going to get food. So he's functional in in everyday life and that he can go out, but he's afraid to. So we're kind of introduced to the fact that he's afraid of everything, probably including being afraid. I'm guessing, although I don't know that that's addressed specifically (laughs) um, in the book. So um, I'll go a little further into, into his story. So he, he does make it out to a diner on the corner by his place. It's like the quickest, easiest way for him to get something to eat. And something very strange happens as he has a conversation with a waitress. It appears that Adam is able to bring out her worst fear and then cause her to act on it. Yeah. So um, the thing that I want to make note about as far as that goes is that um, it's obviously not something that he was aware of that he could do. Um, and so this first kind of thing, uh, and, and I don't know if we want to get into the details or the, like the minutia of how this works, but it seems like at least this first time when it happens, uh, when he touches or makes contact with her, I believe that's when he sees somehow inside of her that her biggest fear, what it is. And, and he just whispers something that encourages her or talks to her and says something that encourages her to do the thing that she's afraid of. Um, and then she seems pretty compelled to, to follow. So, um, he very much didn't know this was a thing and it takes more than just that for him to be convinced that there's something more to it. And then we move to the middle of the country where we are introduced to some high school students. Um, Sarah, who's a uh, quiet, yeah, nearly reclusive um, girl, at least for a high school girl. And she is uh, hanging out and doing her thing, kind of uh, checking out the, the jock of the school who's playing basketball on the, on the skin side of the basketball team. She's immediately picked on by Carly, who is your very stereotypical um, cheerleader mean girl. Yeah. And, um, as like not long after this whole interaction starts to go down, um, I'm assuming it's a tornado. Something crazy happens that like rips 
literally rips the roof off of the school as like there's there's an announcement hey everybody take cover and then like within seconds um chaos ensues and um sarah is is kind of guarded and helped out by kyle the the half naked dude she was ogling and getting made fun of for um and so yeah cataclysmic event they wake up the next morning with the carly girl so it's the three of them um in like a little like duct or something near the school like a little i took it as like a little like sewer kind of hole thing or whatever you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um and they look outside to find just utter devastation like the school's gone um and like there's no one around nothing's happening it's just like that like as if everybody's gone and everything's destroyed basically and our third and final group are some older folks um they're on their way back from a from a trip on a like a chartered bus um so there's the bus driver rich or marcia and glenn who are uh I don't know. You're like typical old white couple with a complaining wife and the, the, the husband that's kind of pretty much had it with her shit. Um, and Charles and Wanda uh, were an elderly black couple also on that bus. And they're, uh, they also encounter some inclement weather situation that they're trying to um, drive through. Yeah, that was interesting because they're driving this bus. Um, I think it's from like the des- like California desert kind of area to um back to arizona mm-hmm. and so uh in their trip <laughs> something earthquakey kind of happens and uh yeah she gets real really fast and so they're kind of encountering the same thing some weird cataclysmic event that they somehow are the people who survived and um trying to figure out where where to go from there and so a quick note about the structure of the the book it's a shorter because it's it's part one um of of the series it's shorter it's probably 100 110 120 pages and it's got uh, alternating chapters so the three different scenarios we just introduced you to um just alternate uh chapter to chapter so it goes from adam and what's going on in the east coast then it goes to the mid, mid, midwest with sarah carly kyle when that chapter ends we go back to rich marcia glenn Charles and Wanda, and it just kind of uh, rotates through the chapters like that. From a story standpoint, that may be the shortest we've ever talked about anything. Um, as Rob mentioned, as part one, and this uh, coming in at a hundred, just over a hundred pages, um, it's going to be a little tough not to to move into territory where we spoil things. You want to mention one more character um, that does come up, and that's Jelnik. He's a cab driver that Adam has. Uh, enlisted to help get him somewhere somewhere really kind of non-specific at this time but it's very clear that that jelnik will be the you know kind of like the the igor of this book for for lack of a better term he's <laughs> going to be the the like lackey that the like i don't know and you're just saying that because he's from yugoslavia right <laughs> i mean well that too um it, he's uh he's gonna be the for lack of a better term like the human familiar you know what I mean? Not to imply like a Redfield. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that that type of you know kind of kind of character. So um, here's what I will say about this. This strikes me um, to be in the same category as books like um, Swan Song or Stephen King's The Stand, where you have your one bad guy, 
And then you've got, well, at least this point, these two little groups of people where this should shape up, I think, and I could be wrong here. There are three more books to go in the, you know, common people versus one evil entity um, type of story, which, which can be done very, very well and be very intriguing. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah. And, and just to kind of talk about an over overarching kind of theme throughout all three of the different uh, plots that we were introduced to um, fear does have some sort of presence in all of the stories throughout the book. At some point, a person's fear does have an impact or an importance to what's happening to all these three different groups uh, in not necessarily the same way for everybody. So fear, the fearing obviously being the title of the series makes sense. It is, is very fear based and it's even mentioned in the synopsis. Um, the other thing is just like cataclysmic, horrible, almost apocalyptic events is something that happen um, at least in the storylines we know of. And I'm assuming that it's kind of it's sounds like there's that it, I would it would be easy to imagine that it's a global thing that like something's happening all over the world. Yeah, which makes for uh, an interesting ability to tell some other stories, too. Yeah, so um, uh, it's interesting the way that this is laid out, because uh, it, it's I was curious when we started reading this, knowing that it was a, it was book one of four, whether this was going to be its own uh, you know, story uh, that builds in in a, in a series, or whether it was just going to be part of a story. And this is definitely more Matrix Two than Matrix One to uh, <laughs> to make a lame movie reference, uh, because I, I uh, you know, it it is more of a start of a story than it is like a a three part three act structure kind of thing, without without spoiling anything. Right. Yeah. It's incomplete. So. I mean, for, from a story yeah. standpoint, I, I wouldn't be very satisfied at all if I stopped reading here. Um, and and I, I agree with you, and I know exactly what you mean. I, I go back to Fifty Shades of Grey for something that we reviewed here, which felt very yeah. incomplete in both of its iterations that we, that we covered here. Not to, not to make <laughs> too many comparisons between this and Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, but yeah, it is definitely not on a standalone. One of the things, obviously, we're going to ask Mr. Taff about is the choice to do this as not one complete um, volume versus um, individual parts. The one thing I like, and again, it's so hard because I don't want to spoil any of this for anybody, but I do want to say that there's an interesting factor at play here. And I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. So typically, you have an antagonist. And maybe that antagonist has one ability to do something. So if we take this as a, as let's say we try to take it as a disaster story, the, the disaster story would be uh, people have fought through the worst earthquake ever, or they fought through an avalanche. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's one right. disaster. This literally opens itself up to the possibilities of anything and everything you imagine can be thrown at any of the the people in this story, which does make it interesting because it makes it unpredictable. And I will say that at least one part in this book was super unpredictable for for me, and it really caught me off guard and, and intrigued me even more than the stuff that came before it. 
Hmm. It'd be interesting to hear what that is. Um, yeah. And here's what I'll say. Like if you, because we can't talk about plot too much, um, I'm just going to say how, how readable this is. Um, I did this in one reading, one sitting. I, I just sat down and knocked the whole thing out. Um, I think I took like a 20 minute break in between, like when I got halfway through, I just, you know, flipped around online for like 20 minutes and then went right back to it and finished it. Um, it's very digestible. So it's broken up into 10 chapters. So you're thinking about at the most 10 pages on average per, per chapter. So it's easy to get through and Taff, man, we I, like, I went back and listened to our review of the end and all beginnings, um, which we talked with, uh, Josh Mailerman about, um, and later had, had John on to talk to us about. And I didn't remember the stories before I listened to the episode, but as I listened to us explaining them, I was like, oh man, I remember that being so good. And I knew I had a good impression of the book, but as time goes on, blah, blah, blah. What I'm trying to say is very approachable. And um, he has no problem writing believable characters. Um, so it's easy to get into the skin of these characters or, or see from their perspectives because um, he pretty much effortlessly creates very relatable, believable characters. And uh, I agree with everything Rob says. The the part of this book that I liked was like it's unpredictability. And, and I say that because we're faced with, with several different problems in, in this book. And, and not only do I feel like around every corner, there can be something new and innovative, but I don't see where it's going. And in other books that I've read that were like this, kind of get a feeling of where the book is headed. And I'm very rarely wrong. And that's not to diminish the story or anything, but, you know, kind of uh, the, the stand for those of you who have read it, you kind of get a, a pretty good idea of how what's going to go down at the end, probably, well, the stand is like 800 pages. So I would say even 100, 150 pages in, you've got a pretty good idea. I don't, I don't see where this one's going. And then, um, wait, by, I'm intrigued by 150 pages into the stand. Has he finished introducing new characters yet? Well, um, yes, in the stand, <laughs> I think so. That has a, has a cast. Well, but it, and, and I don't, I'm not try, I'm trying not to take away from the fearing in this, right? It's a pretty similar setup. Like you kind of know who the bad guy is. You start to see these groups of people. You get the idea these people are going to meet up and face up against the bad guy. Um, although I think this is going to go in that general direction, I, I don't, I can't see the showdown. So does that make sense? Yeah. For you who have read it, you know what I mean? For other people, that might not make a lot of sense, but I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see where this is going to go. And quite frankly, it's enough to get me to read book two when it comes out. So. Um, I guess a good job there, Mr. Taff, on getting me to read book two. Um, but it's it's it definitely, I think, is the kind of series. And again, now, now I'm not just speaking from what I read, but based on what I read, I'm going to speak for the next three books. I think it's going to keep readers on their toes throughout. All right. Obviously, when we review books, we do wrap ups. Liv, do you want to kick it off? For sure. Um, I think I've said everything I need to say about this book, so I'll kind of rehash it here. I'm very intrigued. Um, I like where this is going, um, even though the the structure feels familiar from numerous books that you know, I mentioned a couple, but there are numerous books in the horror genre that follow this path. I'm very intrigued by the antagonist and, um, you know, for, for lack of a better term, for his his abilities. Um, I feel like uh, there's going to be, you know, some surprises 
And like I said, at, at every turn, literally, and I'm really, really curious to see how it goes. The writing is terrific. It's a nice, um, you know, quick read in that, like, it doesn't get bogged down in, in anything. It moves super quickly. I'm very excited about reading book two. Um, I have to give it a rating on what I've read, right? So I, I guess at this point, I'm going to give it five stars for its first quarter. Yeah, I guess that's the trick because we have to rate this as its own book, even though it's absolutely not its own book. <laughs> so I, I was scrolling through Twitter and I was like, I had searched for the fearing just to see. And like, it was just like my five star review of the fearing, my five star review of the fearing. And I'm thinking to myself, this book isn't a standalone. So it's just, it's unusual. It would be like if we read a quarter of a book and rated it. So <sighs> subject, subject to later change, right? Right. Like I can always come back if I read the other three, even if we don't do them on the podcast, come back and say, yeah, no, not so no. much. Maybe that would be like, if we did all four parts, we then do a composite score yeah. on the whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> I have to be honest. I don't like, I don't know how we could because yeah. then literally it, it would be what we don't do. Right. It, which is get too deep into a book. And we'd at some point have to talk about the last quarter of the book and either we'd have to be so vague as to make it unintelligible. Right. Or spoil the shit out of it or spoil the stuff that they didn't want to spoil in the earlier books. Yeah, It's just weird. So yeah, yep. probably not going to happen, but, uh, so I'll just do a quick, uh, a wrap up as well. Um, honestly, I have two main impressions from reading this. The first impression is it's been far too long since we've read anything by John F.D. Taff because it was very easy to get into this book. And um, he he did a little bit of I wouldn't call it world building, but like rule setting for what was going to happen in the in the upcoming books in a way that was very entertaining, easy to read fast. Um, and he writes people so well. Um, he likes to put. um very believable, relatable people in really fucked up situations. And he just does it so effortlessly. It's just, it's, I can't even, I just think about it as like, you know, um, it, most people would struggle to pull off one of those things and he's doing both very well. So, uh, it's just impressive to read his stuff. And, um, yeah, I wish, I wish that we had time to just go back and read more of his catalog. Uh, that being said, it's kind of weird that this is book one of four and it's obviously, part of a whole instead of its own individual thing but for what i've read so far it's like livia said it's five stars all right and before we wander off the topic of john uh i, I want to go back to uh i sent livia a message um because i went back and i re i re-listened to our inner our review of the end and all beginnings and our uh interview with john and Josh Mallerman. And so we were talking about the five different stories in the end and all beginnings. There was one story called object permanence in which I don't know if you remember this Livius, but there is, uh, you'll remember it when I tell you, but so it's a guy in a mental hospital and um, somehow he discovers that um, if he forgets about someone, they cease to exist. Does that sound familiar? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So the, the whole story is like, um, so he's in this mental hospital and he wants to get out. So he just forgets everybody who works in the mental hospital and that's how he escapes. Mm -hmm. And he goes back home and he kind of has an antagonist in his like grandmother or whatever, who does something similar with her memory where she's kind of holding the town in stasis the way she remembered it. Um, and so mm -hmm. like, they're kind of squaring off. Um, so, 
the funny thing about that is when me and you and Josh were talking about that story object permanence, you said that of the because uh, Twilight Zone was mentioned in, in I think John's uh, bio or or something like that, maybe even on the the book cover or something uh, or acknowledgments or somewhere. Um, and so you said of all the five stories in the book, this one would be like the most likely to be like a Twilight Zone story. Like you could see it being a story in like a new Twilight Zone. Do you remember that? Yeah, I don't remember saying it. I remember the story and I could see why I would say that. So cut to like this year, they come out with a new season of like a new series of Twilight Zone. And what's the first episode? Uh, it's an episode where a comedian uh, can basically make someone cease to exist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll be goddamned if you didn't predict the future. So that's four years ago you said that. Yep. I, uh, that's my superpower, Rob. I can predict what stories will wind up <laughs> being televised. Um, Dave James Keaton has that same power, by the way, if you've been following him on social media uh yeah i i so like this are we back to the under the silver lake is that what it's oh or? yes yes why well, but i to be fair and, and again I, I try to spend less and less time on social media but i feel like that's not the only thing i've seen from him yeah well yeah he's well if you ask him everything he's every idea he's had has been is <laughs> has been added into but um the under the silver lake one is interesting and, and like he has a laundry list of of things um uh just remarkable similarities between his his book last projector and the movie under the silver lake but i i didn't see it when i was watching the movie i i, I can understand it in retrospect but um yeah so maybe you and I'm, keaton i'm not necessarily yeah i'm not necessarily i don't want to make it sound like i'm disagreeing with him, <laughs> but yeah i can because i can see some of that shit too you you and keaton need to get together and like just start copywriting all your ideas or something because you're getting scooped all that money is just getting yeah there you go did you watch the rest of the twilight zone no i made it to the third episode and i just got tired of it it just wasn't um, capturing my attention i mean i i don't know what it is but it didn't give me that so like when i think of twilight zone i think of like uh the the twists at the end are supposed to just completely like got you like the floor is supposed to go out from under you right that kind of thing um yeah in a lot of cases yep and it just didn't like i thought oh that's clever or oh all right i get it but i never like it was never like whoa like mind-blowing so i just kind of yeah i think i guess i got to four i think i watched four episodes of it and um my thought was the thing and I, yeah, I haven't watched Twilight Zone in a while. I mean, every now and then one will be on or, or whatever, like the sci-fi channel does a New Year's Day marathon. I'll usually put that on for a little bit. Um, it felt like they were a little subtler. And this one felt like, mm. like, here's Twilight Zone. If someone used a sledgehammer to, to, to beat their point home. I see. It just felt very heavy handed. And yeah, so it, it wasn't for me. I was really excited at the premise. Um, I can't think of his name. Who's the, sh- the showrunner? Jordan Peele. Yes, him. Yeah. Um, I saw his first movie. Um, this name eludes me now. Get Out. Get Out, yes, which I thought was okay. So I was like, all right, well, this guy's got some chops. Like, he might be able to, to deliver. And 
I mean, overall, I don't think the reviews have been terribly favorable, or at least the people I've seen, like, you know, on social media talk about it. It, it seemed like started off pretty high. And then I think a lot of people probably made it to the, like the five episode mark before giving up on it. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, yeah. yeah, I just felt it, like I think it's kind of, yeah, it just fell flat for me. It just was not. And maybe I was measuring it up against a standard that didn't exist or something in my mind, but yeah, it just didn't do it for me. So there you have it. You like that Black Mirror shit, don't you? No. That's the other thing. Oh, okay. I, I watched the first season, which was like three episodes, right? And not my thing at all. I've seen just like bits and pieces. Like I saw the very, like the first two episodes, then I saw like some weird Christmas special, then I watched that Bandersnatch. Then I think on like, the following season, I watched one episode and, and none of them were were bad. I just I think that type of storytelling works best in that like half hour. Right. Format. Yeah. I just felt like they all went on for too long. So I don't know. Everyone I know keeps saying, oh, do you watch it? Do you watch it? It's really good. It's really good. And, and I go, yeah, I mean, the nice thing about a series like that is you don't have to watch straight through. I could literally, if someone said this episode is great, I could put on just that episode and not feel like. Right. You know, if you told me, no, no, just watch season two, episode three of Hannibal without having watched any of the rest of it, probably, you know, wouldn't be as, as easy as you do. Kind of like <laughs> short story collections. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, well, that, I was talking to somebody about Tremblay's collection and I said, look, if you don't want to read the whole thing, you know, tell me and I'll give you four or five that you definitely need to read, you know, and someone can do that with a Twilight Zone or Black Mirror. Yeah. I, I, well, I, and I was thinking too, like, and I, don't, I doubt this is the case, but like, I might be dumb. Because I, uh, I didn't realize that the words Black Mirror meant something specifically. And it was you or someone else explained it was like um, screens, like the horror of technology. That, that makes sense. It was not me that explained that to you. I'm yeah. not smart enough to do that either. Somebody Maybe else was, figured that shit out. It was either you or your, you know, your, your, your mirror in my life, John Gatwood. So <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's just something I don't understand. I'm going to introduce a different topic, which um, is completely on a different subject. And I know that we just got done with a bunch of Taft stuff, but I need to get this. I need to throw this at someone before I forget about it. So, you know that there was a new season of the TV show Scream that came out, right? Yes, I do. All right. So I watched all six episodes the other night. They're like 45 minute episodes. Did you get a chance to watch it at all? No, I think I saw the first episode when it aired like four years ago or whatever. Cause it's been out for a while, okay. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, okay. I didn't get any further in, but Jesse has me convinced that I need to watch it. So it's going on my list. So scream itself has been a pretty decent TV show. Um, I don't think we're going to get past season three because the seasons one and two aired on MTV. And then I think there was a, a, uh, some sort of company bought another company in the production or something. And so it got shelved and it ended up this third season airing on of all places, VH one. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so it was six episodes and it was like a three day event and it just, uh, aired recently. The reason I was excited about it is because Dennis Woodmere, um, is one of the directors of two of the six episodes, um, with his partner whose name eludes uh, me. Uh, but they did Pet Cemetery together, the new Pet Cemetery. They did Starry Eyes together. Um, so I was excited to see their take on the Scream uh, thing. Now, did you uh, have you watched any of the TV show Slasher? 
Um, kind of the same thing. I think I saw two episodes of it. Okay, so you're you're no help with me at all. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna, no, I'm gonna lay out <laughs> I'm gonna lay out a premise, and then I want to discuss this. So uh, Scream, uh, going on the tradition of the Scream movie, um, but then also this like slasher TV show is that is that you don't know who the killer is kind of setup, and um, that is really fucking tired. Like, I, I don't think I can get excited about a who's the killer ensemble cast like thing anymore, because <sighs> the thing I noticed with especially with the show Slasher, the most recent series season, I think season three, um, you have to do so many twists in your storytelling. And especially when you don't have a consistent um, writer director team for the entire thing. All, like every episode, there's some twist that's introduced that doesn't make sense with all of the previous story, but then you have to accept that that's reality. And it just becomes this weird, like, um, I, you almost get like motion sick from all of like the plot twists and stuff. And I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like the ki- you don't know who the killer is type of story. I, um, I think you may have touched on why I didn't get very far into either one of those. Although I am willing to give Scream a, a legit try. Um. You know, we just talked about it in in a book like you don't know where it's going, but we know that, you know, if you're reading it, if you had the whole the whole series of the fearing in front of you, it's going to be 600 pages or whatever. Right. You literally know Mm -hmm. that you've got seven hours of reading or whatever, and you're going to be done with it and and you'll you'll know everything and it'll be finished. The problem with one of those is exactly that in the back of my mind. It's like, how do they continue to keep you interested because it's got to be so much misdirection through the course of it that that I don't know like and maybe the story loses steam because there's not a story it's a bunch of like you said twists and turns yeah and that's, that's... And, and I think that in the back of my mind is a little bit what what hindered me from from watching either one of those to their completion yeah it was only something that I came to probably when I was watching that that late, latest season of slasher, but it, it really had an impact on my, my impression of this scream TV's uh, season. And I, I think that, yeah, the problem is so like in a six episode series, you know, you figure out who, who's the targets. And then it's six episodes of just like one person in one episode could be um, obviously not the killer, and then the only option of who could possibly be the killer. And then they're the only person that you trust. And that, you know, and it just goes back and forth so much that um, it is completely removed from reality. Um, so, yeah. I, and then I was thinking, like, what do I want to see? And I had a thought. What if there was this, like, there's a you don't know who the killer is thing, except for the viewer knows who the killer is. So like the entire interest of the story is watching the other people try and figure out what you already know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would work. I feel like maybe I've seen something that was like that because yeah. then you almost get. So I, the only thing I, I, something that came to mind was that Netflix series, you Y O U with Penn Badgley. Oh, I didn't watch that in, in that one. Yeah. It, so it's, it's really good. And I'm not giving This is like episode one stuff, right? Penn Badgley of Gossip Girl fame is um, is a stalker. But I mean, he goes to oh, extreme length. I know what you're talking about. So you kind of 
But you know what I mean? So you know that he's, quote unquote, the bad guy. Yeah. And the fun in, in it is watching him evade capture. Okay. You know, evade getting caught by, you know, that, that he's a stalker. Or he gets into these weird situations. So the fun of it, you know, there, there's a lot of debate online, right? Like, why are you rooting for this guy? He's this total piece of shit stalker and stuff. But the the, the TV show puts you in that situation. Right. It's, um you know, Robert De Niro and Heat. You know, you're not supposed to be rooting for the guy who's robbing the bank. You're supposed to be rooting for Al Pacino. But let's face it, not one fucking person rooted for Al Pacino. The whole thing was, <laughs> how's Robert De Niro going to pull this off? Well, but that's, you know yeah. what I mean? It's just in this case, it's a guy who's stalking a woman, which obviously is a terrible thing. But you can't watch it and not want him to get away because of the setup. So that, that kind of thing can definitely work. I think it, I really liked you. And there's a season two coming, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I like you too. As I didn't think. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, yeah. See, now that you say that, now I feel like maybe I shouldn't watch Scream. By the way, there are 23, I think, total episodes of Scream, which puts it, I was going to say, when you said like six episodes, I was like, well, if you run one season of it, that's just like a long movie, right? Like two and a half hours yeah. or so of actual screen time. 23, on the other hand. Yeesh. Yeesh. That's a, that's a lot of hours to see <laughs> one story unfold. Yeah, and it's well the the third season is entirely separate from the first and second season, so there's no characters that carry over. Oh, okay. And I think the season is actually called Resurrection or something like that. So it's like a so the first two seasons don't even have the ghost face mask. It has a similar looking mask. Hmm. So this is kind of a different the season three is kind of a different approach than season one's seasons one and two do connect with each other. Like it's a continuous story, but three is totally separate. So Got it. and now that I say that the 23 episodes, um, I was actually doing that from a character's like an actor's perspective. Oh, like so, the, yeah, the people who have been at the most are 23. And you're right. That just says 2015, 2016. So the original run is 23 episodes. Gotcha anyway yeah i'm just really tired of i would like to see someone blow open the whole like you don't like nobody knows who the killer is thing because it is completely uninteresting to me anymore to be honest with you i don't know what i'm excited about as far i mean i still have tv shows that i'm loyal to and excited to you know continue to watch the stories but man anything new has really fallen flat for me lately at least anything long form i think did we talk about in the last episode i watched hannah on amazon prime which is a I, what I believe will be a limited run. I like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was like eight, ten episodes, you know, but I think that's all that's going to be. Hmm. We're just, uh, maybe we're just running out of things to care about. Hey, here's what I will say. We're not going to be able to do a reaction to this because we're recording this. We're not even going to try to explain to you the math on how this episode is being recorded. But by the time you hear this, we will have seen the trailer, the full trailer for three from hell Ooh, yeah that's uh which came out on monday yeah the 15th very excited very excited about that very very excited about that rob and i will have a movie date where we lay down recliners next to each other and our fingers touching the buttery popcorn we'll be bringing <laughs> you that in some format oh God. probably <laughs> probably a la the fat and a podcast probably from like rob's car in a parking lot <laughs> outside the movie theater We've never tried that. It would now would be the time. So yeah, let's uh, yeah let's let's yep. let's commit to that right now. Uh, Thomas Joyce messaged me because he heard us talking about the movie yesterday, and I told him that I will get him an update. So 
not to expose too much of his personal business, but he just wanted to know like if it was an appropriate movie for a youngster to see. And I said, yeah, other than maybe a little bit of language that nothing struck me as odd. And then my response to that was, I'll let you know all three from hell. You know, it's something that a, <laughs> an eight-year-old can go see. So nice. we're going to see if I can get him to take an eight-year-old to see three from hell. Fingers crossed on that one. Like yeah. The kid walks out and they're like, <laughs> everything's fine, except for they didn't see the first two movies, so they don't know what's going on. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Enough. We've wandered into... Regardless of what people think, we're not actually a movie review podcast or a TV show review podcast, although we tried that for a little bit. Um, after um, reviewing, I think, four books in a row, now it's not a record for us, but it feels like it. Um, we're going to take a week off and give you an interlude next week um, because we're going to be reading uh, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers, which my understanding is over 800 pages so we need some extra time on that one yes very excited about that excited to have a little bit of a breather because and i don't even uh i guess i could look at the episode list but um we i don't even think we've done an interlude lately um to be honest mm -hmm. because we had that um prom so correct the last, the last interview the interlude we did was two months ago <laughs> so now i said we're taking the extra time to read this book. Are you still going to try and read it in two days? Are you just going to no. take like the extra time off? Or, okay. I'm just, I was wondering. It was in the back of my mind actually earlier in the week. I was like, all right, so how do I structure out 800 pages? And I thought Rob's still going to wait till that Friday before we record. Uh, no, actually, I think that because we're uh, reading a lot more this year, I've become much more um, structured with my reading and, and less kind of impulsive and last minute. So, um, I'm actually kind of pacing things out. Um, and since since we're talking about it, I'm going to take this opportunity to do a key page update. Um, the podcast so far this year, we have collectively reviewed uh, books that add up to 6,684 pages. And this is our 19th review this year. So this next book is going to add like 15% to our word count? Is that almost yeah. 15%, right? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so good. I mean, and so Livius is, is 512 pages ahead of me because I very, um, wisely opted out of reviewing the mister. Yep. Correct. <laughs> hey, you know, that does bring up an interesting point. Maybe next year, if we just review like 800 page books to get 10,000 pages, we only have to do what, like 13, 12, 13. What's the math Ooh. add up to? Yeah, like a dozen books would do it, I think. Yeah, we could just take a different approach and just read like 900 page books and only <laughs> do like 11 of them. Um, no, thanks. It was a good idea. All right. But I'm going to yeah. go over it. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, that's it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode where we reviewed The Fearing. We'll be back next week with an interlude. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>